Today I began a new series on my favorite topic in all the world, which is Jesus Christ. And I thought back in my mind, I've been preaching about Jesus from Christmas to Easter for 30 years. That makes somewhere around 350 sermons that I've done on Jesus Christ. And every time I do another one, it's just as good to me as it ever was the first time. So it's my favorite topic. I love to talk about Jesus. So we're beginning in John's Gospel, chapter 2, for our text today, as we think about, turn our hearts from John's Gospel towards the life of Jesus Christ. Many years ago, before my wife and I were married, there was a special perfume that she liked, and then I liked it. <laughs> it was a lemon fragrance, and it had a very pleasant smell. I always bought it for her for a Christmas present, till they stopped making it. And when I could no longer find that perfume, I went in search of some other fragrance that I thought would please her. I remember it was Christmas time and I was shopping at Neisner's at a store called the Big N. Some of you remember Neisner's. In those days there was a lady behind the perfume counter to help you. And as I stood there probably with a bewildered look on my face, the young lady said, would you like to test one of the fragrances? And I said, oh, I guess so. She grabbed my hand and sprayed some perfume on my wrist. <laughs> Well, sort of took me back a little, but I snipped my wrists, and she said, do you like it? And I said, well, not really. I, I don't like it. So she picked up another sample, grabbed my hand, and sprayed some of that on my wrist, and said, try that. And I really couldn't tell the difference between the first one and the second one. Well, before it was over, she sprayed my wrist six or eight different perfume. <laughs> And the more she sprayed, the less I liked any of them. So my search for that one special fragrance that Cheryl would like was unsuccessful. And I walked around Big End smelling like a woman. <laughs> Something I was not too pleased about. A couple years ago, I tried again. Of course, now there's no samples to test. So I look at the perfume counter... I see some model has a perfume named after her. I don't think she's particularly good looking, so I reject that perfume. <laughs> then I see a young singer has her own perfume. I don't like her music, so why would I buy her perfume? <laughs> Finally, in all of those names, I find a name I recognize. Elizabeth Taylor. I have no idea what it smells like, but at least I know who she is. So I bought it, and I decided I'd be nice and buy a second kind, and this one was pink, so I just get a blue one, and I go home and wrap them both up for Christmas. On Christmas morning, she opens the two packages of perfume, says, oh, thank you so much, I love perfume. And then she said, but I don't think you really meant to buy this one. I said, why not? She said, this is a man's perfume. I said, men don't wear perfume. <laughs> she said, well, some do. <laughs> I'm sure 
It's sitting in a closet somewhere among those things that my children will throw away someday. Because I'm not going to use it. (laughs) This year she had mercy on me. Thank God. If you buy perfume, she said, white diamond. Remember that. Much to my surprise, it was Elizabeth Taylor. (laughs) So it's been a long search for a fragrance that pleases. Many have been tried, but one fragrance especially pleases, and that's the one I search for. We're about to begin a new study from the book of John. And in his gospel... John tells of eight different miracles performed by Jesus. He does not make a long list of them. Anybody could. One miracle after the other after the other. Like Mark does in his gospel. Instead, John has selected eight special miracles. Each one a little different. Each one with its own special fragrance. Its own special appeal. So that as you read, you will find that one special miracle that speaks to you, that grabs your heart, that makes you love Jesus. Now, of course, Jesus has such a wide appeal. If you love him as the great physician, And then you will enjoy the miracle of the man born blind, being made to see. If you love the great outdoors, then you'll enjoy Jesus as he speaks to the wind and calms the waves. If you love a great feast, you'll enjoy Jesus feeding 5,000. So as we go through John's hand-picked list, we hope to find the one that pleases you the most. One with a fragrance that attracts you to Jesus so that you will find in Jesus that special something to satisfy your souls. Especially, my friends, in this world we see constant examples of people who are searching. Searching for something to satisfy their inner needs, but they are searching in all the wrong places. Just look at the people in search of satisfaction in politics. A man, or a party, or an idea, and all they ever find in all that searching is a hollow, empty feeling. Life's answers are not found in politics, not once ever. Some search for money. Some search for power. Some for pleasure. It's all empty. It's all useless. As wise old Solomon said, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. In a confused and misled world, we have the answer to a satisfied heart and a life full of meaning. Jesus is our hope and he is our joy and he is our satisfaction. As we look more closely at him over the next few weeks, I hope you find that special fragrance that pleases you and you grow more attached to Jesus because of it. So let's turn away from the emptiness that surrounds us, the disappointment in this world, and look to Jesus 
so we can truly grasp the meaning and the purpose for our lives. So we begin in John's gospel, a miracle only recorded by John. The others have left it out, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John chapter 2 for our text today. I begin reading at verse number 1. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. Now the very first four words are significant. It says, in the third day. So it expects us to know what happened on the first day and the second day. And so back in chapter 1, we learn what happened on those days. In verse 35, it tells us, And again the next day after John stood, two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. So the first day begins this countdown. Jesus is introduced by John the Baptist as the Lamb of God. John, the author of this gospel, happens to be standing there and Andrew also is standing there to hear John say this. Andrew goes and gets his big brother Peter. And then in verse 43, we have the second day. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip and saith unto him, Follow me. So add to the group Philip. And then verse 45 uh, tells us, And Philip findeth Nathanael. And so we have Philip, and John, Peter, Andrew, and Nathaniel. And on that second day, they all head home to Galilee. They were bent over at, by the Jordan River uh, with John the Baptist. It's two days walk home. So on the second day, they're traveling, staying overnight somewhere, and arriving on that third day, they're traveling towards Galilee. Now the Bible tells us that Nathaniel's hometown was Cana, where they ended up, a little town seven or eight miles north of Nazareth, where Jesus grew up. So apparently, the six men will drop off Nathaniel at his hometown of Cana, and then go on. First... When they arrive in Cana, there's a wedding in progress. And it says Jesus and the other five men are invited to attend the wedding. So let's make the situation clear. Jesus and the other five men certainly didn't call ahead and say, We're on our way. We'll be there about noon tomorrow. No, there's no phones. Imagine that, no phones. No telegraph. So they arrived unannounced. Nobody knows they're coming. It's a surprise. And they arrive in Cana. They are invited to attend a wedding already in progress. Now, wedding feasts may last three or four days in Galilee. And now you might think... If no one expected Jesus and the other five, that's six people, would it be rude to accept the invitation to the wedding? Being such a last minute invitation. And the answer is a resounding no, of course not. The reason is found in Jewish culture. 
Hospitality was the number one rule in Jewish culture. When perfect strangers came to town, it was a competition among the town folks to see who would first get to take that perfect stranger into their house for food and lodging. Hospitality was the rule. That's why you always see Jesus eating in somebody's house. Hospitality. He eats in Peter's house. He eats in Mary and Martha's house. He eats at Matthew's house. He eats at Simon's house and Zacchaeus' house and a host of others. He was constantly entertained in homes all over Galilee. So the invitation to the wedding of six men, who four of whom are perfect strangers... Only Nathaniel, who lived in Cana already, and Jesus, whose mother Mary is serving guests for the family, were known. So yes, come to the wedding, you're invited, just come, just come, it's okay, come. What happens? Oops, there's a problem, there's a problem. Verse 3, when they wanted wine, mother of Jesus saith unto them, They have no wine. Mary, who's either a very close friend or maybe even a relative of the family that's involved in the wedding, has come to help serve. After all, the feast may last two or three, even four days. That's a lot of serving. But something very embarrassing has happened. They ran out of wine. Now, if I could guess why, it's probably because... They are poor folks. Canaan is no thriving city. It's a little tiny little place. It's sort of like East Shelby. It doesn't even show on a map. And they're still to this day not sure where it was. And so they've run out of wine, which is a staple for any wedding feast in those days. So there are several problems. Number one... If there is no wine available in Cana, if there was, it would have been donated. Because no one wanted to see a happy wedding end up on a sad note with the idea that they're too poor to entertain properly. Nobody wanted that. So there's no wine in Cana or they would have had it. Problem number two, to get more wine. Well, somebody's going to have to go get it. Nazareth is a seven-mile walk, 14-mile round trip. I'm sure you could get it there. It's going to take several hours to go there and bring it back. Problem number three, six men have been invited at the last minute. Now, if you're one of those men, how do you feel? Have we become a part of the problem? Dropping in the last minute. Yes, they might have run out of wine anyway, but did we help cause the shortage? So it's a very awkward situation. Mary tells Jesus they're out of wine, probably because she knows he's good at solving problems. She's been living with him for 30 years. I'm sure she made suggestions, as mothers often do. (laughs) Uh, could you you offer to go get some wine and make it a real fast trip or maybe even 
Could you make an excuse and you and your five friends leave? Verse 4 is Jesus' answer. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? My hour is not yet come. Now what Jesus said to his mother sounds rude, doesn't it? Sounds rude when we read it. Of course, we know Jesus was never rude, ever. That was not his character. Mary understood what he was saying. And you have to think about where they just came from. A couple of weeks before this, Jesus said to Mary, I'm leaving home. Well, where are you going to go? I'm going down to see John the Baptist. And Mary says, I know. I know what he's there for. He's supposed to introduce you to the world. So are you really going to go start your work? Yes, he says. I have to begin my work. She says, ever since you were 12 years old, we found you in the temple. And you said then, when you were 12 years old, I must be about my father's business. And now you're going to begin. I want to tell you, Mary is happy. She's thrilled. The whole reason she brought him into this world, and she knows it. When Jesus returns with five followers, five disciples, she knows he's off and running. She's happy. So when Jesus says woman and doesn't say mom, (laughs) it's because he no longer takes orders from mom like he did for 30 years. He's taking his orders from God. And Mary's okay with that. She's not at all hurt by what is said. But in Mary's comment to Jesus, there's a sense of urgency, I'm sure. Come on, Jesus. You got to hurry. You got to hurry. And she thinks he'll probably go himself somewhere and get more wine. Because he wants him to hurry. It's a two or three hour trip if you hurry. And Jesus says, at the right time, I will do what's necessary. My friends, you and I do the same thing to Jesus all the time. We got in our mind what it'll take to fix our problems. And we give Jesus our own advice. And then we add to our advice ASAP. As soon as possible, please. Be careful, my friends. Jesus doesn't need how or when from us. He doesn't need that from us. Over the years, I have found he always has better ideas than I do. Always. So make this your thought process. Jesus is full of wisdom. He knows how and he knows when to do things for us. He's probably already started to solve the problem before you knew there was one. God's rule is this. Before they call, I will answer. That's what God said. Before they ask, I'm already working on the answer. So remember, my friends, Jesus 
is full of wisdom. So Mary, believing Jesus will solve the problem, somehow tells the help, if he tells you to do something, do it. That's good advice. Very good advice. Verse 6. And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews containing two or three firkins apiece. There's six water pots. The average size is about 20 to 25 gallons. Now lots of water and it's used for purifying or that is washing. Washing hands, washing feet. Washing utensils, washing everything. It was a constant process in any Jewish feast. And this is a wedding feast. Everything and everyone gets washed all the time. So six water pots, which is approximately 130 gallons of water, are used in that process. And the servants fill the pots to the brim as instructed. Verse 8. Verse 7. Jesus said unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now, bear it to the governor of the feast. And they bear it. And when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom. My friends, think of the process that brings forth wine. In some vineyard where the grape vines have grown, in the early spring, rain falls on the plants and on the ground. And the roots of the vines suck up the water up into the vines. The sunlight shines its warmth on the vines and the leaves grow. And then flowers develop in the spring. And finally the fruit is set. Tiny at first. But as rain and sunshine do their work, the grapes begin to swell and grow all summer long. Swelling and growing. And finally in the fall, inside each grape is a sweet juice with a sugar and a flavor that can be squeezed and collected. All the work of sunshine and dirt and leaves and flowers. Seven or eight months. And finally you've got the sweet liquid so full of flavor and aroma. Jesus did it in one second. In one second. Without grapes. Without vines. Without rain or sunshine. He just set it in his mind. He willed it to be. The record in John's chapter 1 is that Jesus created all things and John says without him nothing was made that was made. He did it all. 
from clouds in the sky to water down in the river, from lilies in the field to apples on a tree, from eagles on the wing to lions on the prowl. He spoke and they appeared. And now plain, ordinary water becomes wine. There is no process. There is no time needed. Just his will and there is wine. Verse 9 again at the end. The governor of the feast called the bridegroom and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when the men have well drunk that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. It's not a poor blend that Jesus made. It's not weak or rancid. It's pure and tasty, a perfect blend he controlled the basic elements with his mind. That's very powerful and very impressive. And is it not a very wise solution? Hurry up, hurry up. Never mind, no hurry up. <laughs> it's all set, all is saved. There is no embarrassment now. Those pots are full of wine. And there's going to be enough to take care of the wedding. 130 gallons? <laughs> Jesus blessed them for months into the future. What a wedding gift that was. My friends, Mary never dreamed he could do that. No one ever thought such a thing was possible. It never was done before in all of history. What divine power was it that he exercised on their behalf? Jesus has power and wisdom to use it on our behalf. So... With that great power at his fingertips, would he use that power for a wedding? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Would he use that power to save embarrassment? Most certainly. Most certainly. Couldn't they just have drank water? Yes, but it certainly would not have been a very joyful wedding. With Jesus, wine, the wedding is a full celebration of the marriage and the marriage vows. Listen, my friends, Jesus uses his power not to strike fear but to strengthen the bonds of love. He loves those two young people that just got married. Let me ask you this. What do you think those two people thought of him? <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm sure Jesus never passed through Cana again without stopping for a visit. 
I'm positive that, that young people took Jesus into their home over and over again. And for months after their wedding, they remembered his kindness as they drank what was left of that 130 gallons of wine. Love Jesus, oh yes. Devoted to him is more like it. My friends, hear it explained in verse 11. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. Do you trust Jesus? Do you believe in him? He will use his power to entice you to believe. That's what he wants from you. He wants devotion from you. Devotion. He wants a deep-seated loyalty. And he wants you to love him. And this is such a wonderful story. Strikes close to my heart. We got married. Of course, we invited Jesus to our wedding. We were poor. Really poor, but we invited him into our home. And over the years, we've had many shortages, but he took our water, and sometimes it was all we had. He changed it, and he made it stretched till he turned our water into wine. Life has been joyful and happy. Sometimes troubles get close to us, but he never abandoned us. Thank you, Jesus. We have a permanent bond. Jesus is a regular visitor in our house. I hope he always feels welcome at your house. May it be so at your home. May Jesus be a frequent visitor. May you find each visit rewarding, fulfilling, very joyful. After all, he is wise, is he not? And powerful, oh yes. And full of love. He is in the business of making people happy. So invite him in. You'll never regret it. You'll never regret it. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We look to you, trust you with all our heart. And we think of what you've done for us. And surely your ideas have always been the best. And we're grateful to you for your wisdom and then your power to accomplish things for us. We stand in awe of that. And we want you to know, we want you close to us. Come near to us and and don't pass us by, we ask. Please be close to us. Let us have a bond with you. The world searches for so many things in the wrong places. We're glad that we've got the right place and the right person. Help us, Lord, to be wise and choose you. Have regular visits with you. 
And let that be a sweet fragrance in our nostril, we ask. Bless us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. In closing, like you turn in your hymn books, hymn number 145. Pass me not, O gentle Savior, and hear my humble cry. Standing as we sing 145, pass me not. Page 145. pray that you would be in our homes, Lord, and as you call on others, Lord, do not pass us by, we ask. We ask that our hearts would be ready to receive you. We ask that our minds would be prepared for you. We would take the time to pray, take the time to think on you, to take in your word into our hearts. May it be that in our homes, and may our homes be lights to the world, Lord. We pray that 
you would come in our lives and bring joy, bring the special things in our life, sustenance and joy, corn and wine, Lord. We are thankful for the good things that you have brought to us, and we pray that we would trust in you. Watch over us. Put your hand on us as you always have. Continue to do so. All these people, bring them back to this place. Protect us, be with us as we go out into the world. May we be uh, lights, tell others of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for that is what matters. That is what we are here on earth to do. We thank you for all that you have given us and your protection. Watch care over us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.